walking in first course, I got a blueberry board, two roasted beet salads, and a brown dod. Second course, I got a mushroom risotto, grouper, medium rare hanger steak. I need that souffle for table 24. Hey, what's up everybody? Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to 86 Straight Dialogue with Restaurant Leaders where we're talking with chefs, restaurateurs, and consultants about everything related to restaurant culture. I am your host. My name is Adam Stafford. I've been in the restaurant industry for about 15 years. By no means does that make me an expert, just someone that really enjoys talking shop and providing value wherever I can. I look to provide you, the listener, with insight and strategy that you can use in your day-to-day -day moving forward. I encourage you to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, our YouTube channel, 86 Attrition, as well as our affiliate website, hospitality1to1.com. I look forward to hearing from each and every one of you, and if you like what you hear, I encourage you to subscribe to the show. Again, thanks for stopping by. So for this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Chef Dean Neff. After doing tours of duty in the kitchens of Hugh Atchison and John Fleer, two of the southeastern United States' better-known chefs, uh, Dean and his wife are currently working on opening a bakery and a full-service restaurant. Um, and so I had the opportunity to just uh, catch up with him, see how progress was going there, and also just get some perspective from him about some of the hurdles and challenges that they foresee um, coming at them in the coming months as they start to go live. So without further ado, here is that conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. For any listeners that don't know, uh, Chef Neff and I had the opportunity to work together one summer I don't know how many years ago now and uh, that was a really great experience uh, we both kind of got our teeth kicked in all summer long in this insanely busy restaurant um, but I also got to learn a heck of a lot from Dean during that process and so I'm super excited to have him on the show today and what we're talking about today uh, Dean is going live over the next four to five months with his full-service restaurant down in Wilmington North Carolina Seabird um, and so we're talking about maintaining a healthy balance of focus on the uh, well-being and satisfaction of guests, but also the well-being and safety of your staff. Um, obviously, that's something that's really important uh, moving forward for any restaurant that's looking to last coming out of the pandemic, right? So um, we're, that's the primary area of focus today. But if you wouldn't mind, before we got into that, uh, just kind of give us a quick rundown of your background. Um, you could probably do a little bit better job than I could describing it. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, and kind of grew up cooking and ended up going to culinary school and cooked with a lot of, had, was fortunate enough to cook with a lot of great chefs along the way. And then in 2015, I opened Pinpoint Restaurant in downtown Wilmington and uh, actually sold that restaurant in 2019 and I'm getting ready to open up Seabird, which is um, really heavy seasonal seafood focus for the Wilmington area, regional area, kind of celebrating all things seasonal seafood um, in downtown Wilmington. Very cool. 
I, I very much look forward to visiting when I can. As a transplant Midwesterner, you don't have too many opportunities to eat good, fresh seafood. And when you do, it costs you an arm and a leg. So um, I'm actually, I actually was born in Columbus, Ohio. So I was actually, I've got Midwestern roots. Okay. All right. Even a Southern accent. I, I right. moved to Atlanta when I was like six. Okay. And you ended up, you ended up being a bulldog instead of a Buckeye. That's good. That's right. That's good. I've, I've got EBA as a, as like a 30 year old. So after right. culinary school, uh, it's kind of funny. My dad, I remember graduating and my dad was like, what are you going to do now? He's, he's, <laughs> but I think now, like after my restaurant, he's, he's a little more uh, okay with, he's come to terms with the fact that, you know, cooking is a real job to me. So, so and then uh, your wife, Lydia is also, she's opening up a bakery as well in the process of getting that going too, right? She's actually already open, um, but she's in the, in the process of kind of getting back in, you know, with all the pandemic stuff. She has a really small bakery um, kind of in the, what they call the South front district in Wilmington here, okay. just outside of downtown. And so she's kind of getting back into um, resetting and, and figuring out kind of what it means to run a, a business like that during all of this, this stuff. So she's been, really focusing a lot on bread and farmer's markets. Um, she's out of, there's a Saturday farmer's market here that she's out selling bread every week. Okay. And, um, yeah. She's kind of trying to, to, you know, really focus in what she's doing so that um, she's not all over the place. And, you know, there's a very different environment right now in, in with the bakery because there's no, you know, there are no customers coming inside right now. You guys have a 10 month old too. Like how, I mean, do you sleep? Oh yeah, we, we do for now. We've <laughs> we got a puppy too. And the puppy I think is more challenging than the, the baby for, you know, for the moment. I'm sure yeah. that, will, that will change, but yeah. yeah I, I can see that. So the bakery, when, when both businesses are full throttle, you'll be, you'll be full service. Whereas the bakery is more counter service. Bakery's counter service. And, you know, again, uh, farmer's markets are a big, a big portion of that. She also does some wholesale business as well. Okay. Um, right. You know, right now the, the bakery is so small. It's actually in a refurbished three bedroom house that has been converted into a bakery. Half of it is the kitchen and the other half, and there's a, a good Porsche area, which, you know, will be uh, good once, you know, people are out dining places again. But um, right. for now she's just doing kind of walk up call and service. She has a high-end coffee program as well. Very cool. Um, it actually is. So it kind of sounds like, I don't know if you ever made it down to Corner Kitchen when you were still in Asheville working at Rhubarb. I did. Yeah. Yep. Okay. A lot I like was, that. Yeah. I was there for, I worked there for about a year and a half. And then I worked at their, uh, their other place that was down the street from Rhubarb Chestnut as well. Um, but it kind of sounds like a similar setup to uh, Corner Kitchen. Um, just as far as the, the refurbished Victoria yep. home, which was very, very much a challenge to work in sometimes. Um, yeah, that's a great restaurant though. I, I had a, a really good brunch there one nice. night. Um, yeah, I was, man, I tell you, during the time that I worked there, I was always shocked at how much volume they managed to just shove like with, all the force that you had through that place. I mean, it, you know, still put up pretty solid numbers despite the fact that it wasn't a huge space. So I was always kind of amazed at the amount of volume that we were able to do there. But um, There are a lot of compartments in that space. 
Yeah, 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 for sure. A lot of hidden nooks. Um, so, so tell me this, as you move forward with a seabird amidst all of the guidelines and, you know, I, I try not to phrase it this way, but really like all the challenges that you have to overcome in terms of generating some solid revenue and things like that. Um, what do you foresee? What do you foresee is the most important things to keep in mind as you start to open the doors? I think being, uh, you know, just being open to some different ideas. We've got um, plans to possibly, you know, uh, do some service outside. Um, so breakfast might be, you know, a situation where we bring coffee and we bring, we have a, we'll have a mini espresso machine that we can wheel outside and we can actually make coffee and have grab and go items out on the street, run a corner as well. So we've got two sides that will be outdoor seating on both sides. So we're kind of planning on having outdoor during the day, kind of being a, a focus. We're also planning on having our own to-go menu. That'll be food that is specifically designed to travel because typically what we, what I do in my restaurants has never been uh, geared for, you know, we don't think about it through the lens of how will this reheat or how can, you know, how will this travel? So sure. want to have a, a special focus on to-go items, to-go wine, um, possibly even doing some things like virtual wine dinner type experiences where people can tune into a Facebook live, you know, stream and, and learn about wine, have stuff that they take home and kind of assemble themselves. And then we work through this and talk about the food and the wine together. That's cool. Uh, yeah, that should be, should be kind of fun. We've also uh, talked about maybe doing kind of CSAs and provisional, provisional goods that are available on a weekly basis that we are, um, you know, creating in the restaurant that people can take home. Olive oils, vegetables, preserves, pickles, meats, things like that, you know, mm -hmm. boxes that people are able to pick up each week. We've even talked about delivery. I don't know if that's going to, if that's going to be something that's going to be in our wheelhouse or not, but as we get open, you know, we're going to, we're going to do what we have to do. We're not going to sit back and be slow. Um, we're going to be safe. And we want to make sure that we're keeping all of our, our people, our crew safe. Um, so we want to like start with that and then really kind of be willing to, to do things that are outside of the box. Yeah, absolutely. Really the biggest thing I hear there is flexibility is key, right? Um, and just being willing to, uh, try some new things, but do so in a thoughtful way. I love the idea of like going at a to-go menu. As crazy as it sounds with the idea that you're going to, you know, you're going to send it on its way and not just take your prepared food and throw it in a box and send it out the door, which I've certainly done more times than I uh, really care to admit right here, right now. Um, in terms of the challenges with guest interaction, a common theme that I hear right now is trying to eloquently or, or diplomatically enforce uh, the standards that you put into place to keep your staff safe. What do you think about the challenges there? Um, what do you foresee running into there? I think the, the challenge that, you know, a lot of, a lot of places have is that they, because there, there are no definitive guidelines from the government or, you know, people are kind of being forced to make their own rules or not. 
And I think one of the, the challenges is that people are, there's also people who are kind of somewhere in between. They, they don't, you know, they don't want to have to tell a guest walking into their restaurant to, that they have to wear a mask. So I think the most important thing is figuring out what your rules are in your restaurant. Um, for us, we will be making those, those guidelines and rules based on keeping our staff safe, um, you know, to start. And then follow through with those and work with those and explain them to the guests. I mean, you know, if you're coming from a good place with, you know, your rules uh, and people coming in don't have the uh, kind of wherewithal to, to, you know, appreciate that or, or figure it out that, you know, we're, we're trying to make the best decisions we can given the circumstances. If people don't understand, you kind of have to be happy to, agree to disagree with somebody like that. So, um, you know, we have to make sure that we're, we're watching out for our crew and taking it seriously. And I think if you're not leading in that way, you're going to, your staff is going to be kind of uncertain as to why they're back there. They're going to, you're going to be putting them in a very difficult spot. So, um, if we're going to be bringing people on board to serve in this climate, we need to do everything we can to, to let them know that, you know, we're working to do the right thing to keep them safe first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think from an owner's perspective, it can be a really tempting pitfall to sort of look at it like, okay, well, this, you know, this is revenue and this is revenue I got to make up because we've been closed for the X amount of time or we're just going open or whatever the case may be. And so we can't turn away business, even if they're not going to adhere to our rules. But as you say, you know, I mean, I can't, at this point, I can't think of an easier way to alienate your staff, particularly when you've worked hard to build up a strong relationship with your staff, right? Yeah. And also, you know, other, other diners too. I think, you know, people who, um, people that are coming in, they want to see that type of system in place and they want to see that you care enough to enforce the system and, and train people on it and to kind of take the new reality that we live in into account when running your business. And, you know, other diners will see that they see the person walking in without a mask and they see you taking them to the table without saying anything. And it's, you know, I think we have to create those rules, be firm in how we, you know, enforce them just to make sure that we are uh, looking out for, for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, so I know just based on us working together and some conversations we've had in the past too, um, that you and Lydia both uh, like to maintain a really, really heavy involvement in the community in any way you can as small business owners, as uh, uh, restaurateurs, and really just members of that community, right? Um, and so I think that you know, it really stems from this idea that it's, it's like a closed circle where it's, it's not the restaurant owners or the business owners or the people that are trying to make money and then the people that are bringing in the money, right? It's like, it's like a partnership between you, your guests, your vendors, uh, your purveyors, your staff, all of that that you're trying to maintain for a really long time instead of just jumping on some small opportunity to make a couple of extra bucks and, you know, uh, kind of bend on the rules a little bit. Right. That's, that's exactly, you know, exactly the way we look at it. It's a partnership, whether it's with your, you know, your crew or, 
your guests or your purveyors or your farmers. It's, it's always a partnership. And, you know, in the, the only way to have long-term success is to try and, you know, look out for everyone, you know, and, and that's, that's the, the way, um, I've, I've always worked. I've always looked to establish relationships with other, you know, vendors who are working with us to help to make sure that we're a success as well, because they understand if we're a success, then it'll, everyone wins. And so, you know, that's, that won't change in this, uh, pandemic scenario and, you know, we'll continue to, to really make that, you know, one of our, our, our top goals as it always has been. Absolutely. As far as you as the leader going into opening and just taking, just incorporating uh, things that you've learned throughout your career, um, what would you say is probably the most important lesson you've learned in the past that applies to the current situation moving forward? Um, everything seems to be sped up these days. So the, the information that we're getting, you know, the, the things that are happening in the world, it's like, it's happening so fast. And I think that we have to be willing to take our current level of awareness and the things that we know and make decisions and rules and guidelines uh, to lead our businesses and stick with them until that level of awareness changes. And so being able to adapt to new things and to take on new ideas and to be open to, uh, you know, open to change is, is kind of the, the main thing, but also um, making sure that the decisions that we make are coming from a place that's, of good, you know, coming from a good place is, is really important, I think, as well. Sure, absolutely. Just shifting gears slightly here, there, there's one thing that always really resounded with me and that was always your ability to calmly uh, address any kind of, um, you know, the inevitable issues that come up with the guests, right? Whether they're dissatisfied with some aspect of service, perhaps there's some part of the meal that they weren't thrilled with, anything like that. And, you know, anyone that's worked in a restaurant is certainly, uh, they know all too well about the open table reviews and all that stuff that pop up. Um, if you wouldn't mind just kind of talking about your, your mindset there, because I was always really, really impressed with the way that uh, you could address those kind of things in a very calm, very understanding, uh, very empathetic manner, particularly um, in comparison with, some of the other people that I've worked with is just have a tendency to get irate about it. You know what I mean? And do you mean specifically with guests? Yeah. 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 So uh, I always try to, to, you know, and this may change. We need, may need to, to revisit how this works in, in a pandemic scenario, but sure. I've always tried to be in the dining room as much as I can and encouraging people to, you know, to tell me how, how they, you know, if they like things, you know, and, and it's not always um, the answer that you want to hear when, when you're out there, they're, you know, we're obviously not perfect. And, um, you know, it's, it's a much, I think the hospitality industry, the chef industry is much uh, easier to take. I think if you're open to, if you're self-aware enough to take criticism and critique, and if you search it out, 
um, as well. I think that that's something that if you're not going out there and making an effort to have that interaction and, and have a, a candid, you know, conversation with a guest on their thoughts of the meal, you, you can't, one, you can't ever figure out if, you know, in what, you know, the ways you may be failing. Um, but also, you know, it just, it's something that you really, if those people can't tell you about it there, you know, they're, they're going to go home and they're going to write a review and, and get it out somewhere. And so I like to encourage that, that dialogue at the table and, and encourage people to let us know, you know, see how they feel about things. And I think it's important as a business, um, as a chef to grow, you know, to, to learn. And also, um, I think that the crew, back to the crew, I think, you know, servers appreciate that as well. And, you know, we want to make sure that like the one thing that, that is, uh, kind of the, the thing that is never okay is to, to bus a, a plate from a diner, you know, a dish that they maybe haven't touched at all, taking it away from the table and not asking them what happened, you know? And, and so really encouraging, um, our crew and our staff, our servers and empowering them to let them know, like, if there is a problem, we will fix it. And, uh, we're not going to charge somebody for the steak that they didn't eat or, uh, you know, we want to find out what went wrong and we want to fix it if we can. And we want to make sure that, um, our, our crew is empowered to know that, you know, if something goes wrong, we can make it right at the table. And I think that, you know, makes a lot of, it takes, takes a lot of anxiety out of, waiting tables to know that we'll, we'll do the right thing and make sure that people do anything that we can to make sure people leave feeling good about their experience. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's huge. And what I have found just from uh, several conversations with other chefs and with guests and in my own experience too, is like, that, you know, when you begin to make the move from a frontline position, such as a line cook or, or a server or uh, maybe even a bartender, into more of a management role, I think that being open to that kind of critique, both from, the, uh, from your coworkers as well as your guests, you know, is such an integral thing. Obviously, getting a better understanding the financials is also incredibly important, but you know, I've always found only because I've certainly been in places where I kind of struggle with that transition. Um, I found that that aspect of it is, is pretty damn important. Yeah. And, and you know, we also are creating dishes, new dishes every day. And sometimes what you have in your head, when you get it on a plate, it's not what you envisioned and you, you are in the, you know, bustle of everything and it goes out. I mean, I've had situations where, you know, I've had a, a dish on a menu for two days and then I wake up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, why is that dish on the menu? You know, like you just, like, it's not it, like, I hate it. I don't know why it's on there. So it's like, you have to be a little bit, I think, hyper self-aware to, to realize that, you know, there's, there's a lot of good that comes out of trying to be ambitious and, and changing menus regularly. Um, but you can't be upset when there's a, a dud or a failure. You have to like be able to take feedback on it and fix it or get rid of it and move on to the next thing and, you know, kind of refine what you're doing. But, you know, I, I would, I would think that even the best chefs, they have that same experience that, you know, they don't, there are things that they come up with and it, 
and they're like, that's, that's not ready to go out or that's not ready to go on the menu. We need to go back to the drawing board on that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can definitely, uh, remember several instances of that. And I think the one for me personally, the ones where I had the toughest time taking some constructive critique and like putting it to good use were the dishes where, you know, you'd give it like, you think about it for a couple of weeks and then you start playing around with it and you change up a couple of things and you throw something on there for this kind of texture and then you splash it with a little bit of acid or something. And then you do this and you do that and you're like, all right, this is perfect. And you send it out and somebody's like, I'm not feeling this. And so what I came to learn finally was like, okay, when you go through that whole process, that's when you are going to be at, I guess at your most sensitive, um, you know, kind of internal self-talk for me is like, you know, if you go live with this on Friday night and you've been working on it for two weeks and you catch a, a bad review on it, you're going to flip your lid. So just be, you know, just be aware of that going into it. Yeah. There, there's always the the issue of, you know, like, and that, I guess it's kind of, there's probably a tendency for guests to not to feel that, you know, food is, is art and, and you don't, they don't want to give feedback because, but really, you know, I think businesses that are going to last really, they want that feedback there so that they can fix it or they can use it to modify something. I mean, there's so many things going on with just one dish that a lot of times you can, you know, you can, most of the time we, when we get feedback at a restaurant, it is useful information that we use to our advantage to fix something. And, you know, there's, there's maybe 1% of it that you get and you're like, clearly we're going to have to agree to disagree, but you know, most of the time it's, it's something that will help your dish. And if you're open to that and you can sort of put your, you know, I, I think that that's the other thing that we really do with our food is try to put the ingredient, like the, the best dishes are great ingredients and we stand out of the way of the ingredient. The ingredient shines and the, the, the cook or the chef is not, you know, reflected in the dish. It's, it's the ingredient. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that being said, when it comes to tuning up your food and working on, you know, developing some new stuff or maybe taking some constructive critique and, and using that to, uh, elevate what you're already working with what's the you know what's the one the one thing that you find yourself reaching for the most uh pantry item or, or maybe uh something fresh like when we were working together one of the things that i specifically remember you introduced me to that i'd never worked with before was urfa beber the the dried sweat yeah i'd never dealt with that before and so i was like this is cool i'm gonna you know continue to use this moving forward but what's the, what's the one thing that you find yourself reaching for the most? I think, um, you know, like having, having great vinegars is, is something that, you know, same with olive oil. Like you've got olive oil that is, you know, really expensive that is used in for finishing. You don't use it to, you know, fry crab cakes or, or something <laughs> like that. Like you're using it as a finishing oil. And the same thing applies for, for vinegars. You know, you're not using... Um, your most expensive apple cider vinegar um, to pickle bread and butter pickles necessarily, unless that's just the way, you know, you, if you roll like that, then <laughs> more power to you. But like, yeah. 
you know, I, I think that having some, some really great vinegars for finishing, um, when, you know, cooking, you're always trying to build dimension, like you kind of were talking about earlier, having, you know, acid and, and texture and, you know, you're, you're trying to build something that has dimension and you're, you don't want something to just be, you know, soft on a plate. Like you want to add more dimension to it. Vinegar is a great way to do that. Um, great salts are another way great oils. We, we recently got some really exciting oils from a guy named Adam Fisher and uh, his farm is Burgeoning Farm, which is out of uh, Virginia. He's actually more of a forager, but um, he pressed a bunch of cold press acorn oil and black walnut oil. And oh, those okay. oils, yeah, they were like so much tastier than, I mean, like I'm, I'm not a fan of truffle oil at all. Yeah. But like this, these are, are kind of, I think really what truffle oil is supposed to be, you know, yeah. it's, it's, they're beautiful in color. They've got just incredible flavor. The black walnut oil was black walnuts are so delicious. Is it, and is the oil super floral? It is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the acorn oil, especially it was, it's like the color of, you know, saffron and, um, no kidding. Yeah, it's beautiful and it's got a super floral, um, fruity, you know, kind of kind of flavor. And it, you know, you use it in moderation, just finish, you know, finishing oil, okay. the black walnut oil too. So, so having some of those ingredients and finding those, um, those ingredients that are new are always, you know, really exciting and inspiring. I think it's a lot of that is about the relationships with, you know, your foragers or farmers and we had a guy here making um, local mullet batarga and it was like the most beautiful batarga I'd ever seen. He like just walked in the front door and was like, are you interested in this? I make it. <laughs> it, incredible. it like made my day to, to yeah. meet this guy and, and, you know, find out that he was making mullet red batarga in Wilmington. You know? That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy here in Cleveland um, that among many 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 other cool things that he's making he makes uh batargo with walleye row um oh. because uh walleye is so abundant it's up like here it's, big, you know, like shape it on a microplane like it's it's uh, i mean it's pretty good size it's bigger than shad row the only way that i could figure out how to use it where it made some sense it wasn't completely overpowering was just shaving it on a microplane um but really cool product and uh this guy um he makes all kinds of insane stuff so yeah. at this point you know equally cool find but not as surprising as somebody just walking into the shop and saying hey you know i got into this on my own time and maybe you'd be into it very cool man well i greatly appreciate your time coming on the show um as far as anybody that listens and uh wants to find out more about seabird wants to find out more about the bakery or just wants to find out more about dean and lydia uh what's the best course of action there uh let's see here the bakery um love lydia it's love comma lydia and i think uh i'm not sure what her instagram handle is and seabird <laughs> is seabird is uh seabird nc mm-hmm. um on instagram and and you know we're kind of in construction phase now so we'll be kind of updating it's been a really cool process the building is is beautiful and it's it's being kind of refurbished in a way that like i've never seen any old building um you know, kind of come together. And so I'll be sharing a lot of stuff on the construction phase of the building soon. And um, we're working with a great design team called Smith Ames out of Atlanta. 
Um, and they're, they're really great to work with. I'm really excited to be working with them. So we're going to have some fun things kind of to show on that soon. Um, and then my personal website is chefdneff.com. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, I forgot to ask you too, when we were talking before, um, what's the, what's the seating capacity looking like for Seabird? How, how big are you guys going? Are we talking pandemic seating? No, 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 no. I'm talking about full throttle, not pandemic. So, uh, full throttle, we've got about a hundred seats. And so okay. we have, yeah, we've got a, a private dining room, a main dining room, a bar that's kind of separate. And then outdoor, we've got the capacity to have about 20 seats. Okay. All right. Very cool. You have a right. chef table actually too. Nice. In yeah. the kitchen? It's actually just outside of the kitchen looking in through a window so we can get immediate feedback. Um, you know, if, <laughs> nice. if you have feedback to offer, you can just yell it straight ahead. It's, <laughs> table is like right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Very cool, man. Well, I really appreciate it again. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, thanks, Adam. And just in case you missed it at the beginning of the show, friendly reminder, if you liked what you heard on this episode and you want to hear more episodes, you can do so at hospitality1to1.com, where you can also subscribe. And you can find episodes at our YouTube channel, 86 Attrition. That's the word 80, the number 6, and the word attrition. Thanks again for stopping by and tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you again.